Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 37 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And I'm Tiffany Maladnich of GratefulGarden.biz. Today we are talking with the amazing Dr. Tom O'Brien. Dr. Tom is an internationally recognized speaker specializing in the complications of non-celiac gluten sensitivity and celiac disease and often referred to as the gluten guru, especially by Tiffany and I for sure. He recently (laughs) hosted the Paradigm Shifting the Gluten Summit, a grain of truth bringing together 29 of the world's health experts on celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And we are so excited to talk to him, aren't we? So excited. We have so many questions for him and can't wait to hear everything he has to say. But just a few things first. Like always, if you tuned in last week, which we hope you did, you heard us chatting with the amazing founder of the Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology, Rita Marie Loscalzo. And that was amazing. She's an amazing woman. I think Dr. Tom is with her this weekend, isn't he? He is. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So if you missed it, you can always catch it in the Thyroid Nation Radio Archives as well as other guests that we've interviewed like Dr. Holtorf, Hypothyroid Mom, Dr. Rita Marie from last week, Mary Shulman, Susie Cohen, Isabella Wentz. There is so much diverse information there, uh, each presented with uh, you know, information that, that, that affects us very differently as thyroid patients. One of my favorites is Mary Shulman who explains the things that we can come back to our doctor with to help them test for certain things. Uh, that was just, you know, one of my personal favorites for sure. Definitely. Definitely one of my personal favorites as well, right? I mean, it's so funny because at the very end of um, every show, I guess, we say that, well, this is our favorite. No, well, this is our favorite. So each time is our favorite. All the guests have been amazing, so we're very, very, very lucky. Make sure to also check out the lineup of wonderful and innovative guests we have scheduled on the Thyroid Nation radio page for future, for the future, including Dr. Jill Carnahan, Andrea Nakayama, Dr. Trevor Cates, and there's just so many more. So check it out. So much exciting stuff coming up. It looks like he's not with us yet, but... Um, That's okay. Yeah, so... Oh, so Today we're going to be talking about gluten. Gluten. Oh my gosh. Yes. Can't even. I can't even talk about the whole thing that we've been going through for every episode. Uh oh, we got to talk to Dr. Tom. It's coming up. It's coming up, and today is the day. Very, very, very exciting. Yeah, Dana. Just for everybody that may not know, Dana and I both struggle with gluten. It, uh, it both directly affects our brain rather than digestively and all that good stuff. But um, so we have so many wonderful questions for Tom, and we're waiting, um, waiting patiently for his arrival. And I hope that he was with the time, um, the time change, because of course this morning is a time yeah. change. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And I have a few I'm problems wondering. with my own computer. <laughs> Actually, my husband's right. But that's the one I do the show from. So it had some trouble updating times and what have you. So I wonder if Dr. Tom possibly is on a, a, a time shift. Time warp. He's on a time warp. He's on a time warp. It reminds me of the um, Back to the Future movie, how they were referring to all the times yeah. and everything that they had said in that movie. That's so funny. <laughs> And it we makes thought me that feel was so, so far old. Ahead. <laughs> it seems like the future. 
I know, Isn't right? It? It's so futuristic. <laughs> I mean, you know, the flying skateboards and the, you know, I don't know. I think we have, you know, so many expectations. Of, we have a long way know, to go. A long way to go <laughs> to catch up with right? so many facets of that. <laughs> yeah. I know, but it's kind of cool because there's a lot of things. I mean, like, we were watching some movie, uh, my daughter and I can't even imagine, I can't even remember what it was. Oh, we were watching um, Downton Abbey, and they were getting um, a telephone, and they were all resistant to it, and they were all like, oh, what is this nonsense? And they didn't know how to use that old contraption telephone where you, you know, have to wind it and put the thing up to your ear, and and she's like, oh, that's so funny, Mom. I mean, look, I got my my little iPad mini right here. Can you imagine? And I can talk to somebody and see them while I'm can talking you imagine? to them. I'm like, I know, right? I know. And see, my husband loves so living. My husband loves living in the in the past because we went and he actually sought out one of those old rotary phones, you know, like the phones that we had in the seventies when we were kids, you know, where, you, where it goes, right? Oh my God, I can't even think of it. They're rotary phones, but um, and my kids are looking at him like, Dad, are you serious? Like, what it in an emergency? I mean, I know it's only nine one one, but I mean, you know, you have to go through this. Wait until the phone comes back. Where you know, on a phone, you can just hit nine one one. Well, when uh, I'm heading back to the states, because for those of you who are just now joining us today, I am a Texan living in Costa Rica, and I'm headed back to the states soon, and um, we have to get a new phone. And I'm just been threatening the kids. I'm going to get one of those rotary dials because <laughs> I think it would be so funny. <laughs> they can just talk it's the to little the kids. things that make us smile. <laughs> <laughs> the small bouts of torturing that we can inflict on our children, poor things. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, well I so hope we're not going to have to re- rely on, on yours and my gluten information today because. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we'll no. He's probably trouble. just busy. Oh, he's probably he just busy. You know how that goes. And the time oh, change is probably crazy. So I'm sure he could be talking. He could be in a, right. in a you know, meeting right. or something right now because he was with um, Dr. Rita Marie, I believe, right? So. And wasn't he speaking? I think he was speaking. I wonder, you know, I wonder, I wonder. Maybe we're just singing. How am I feeling? I, I, <laughs> I feel okay. You know, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm really excited for this weekend. So that is... Um, that's super excited. Well, let's the talk about aromatherapy it. conference let's in San Francisco. It. Yeah, you know, it's I'm just a, a lot of Magdalena message. Oh yeah, and and right, yeah, we should grab dinner or something. Um, that might well, be scary. Um, we gotta though. have a picture. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we gotta have a picture though. We gotta have a Magdalena and oh, Tiffany for picture. Sure. So I'm gonna send for her a little sure. a little note. That says Tiffany's coming and y'all should hook up, right? Well, and I get my um, I get my new phone. Yay! I'm very excited. I've waited patiently for us on uh, Wednesday. <gasps> I think that's him. I think that's him. I think he is with oh, us. Oh, good. So let Yay. let's click him in. Let's see. Good morning, Doctor Tom. Can you hear Hi, us? Dr. Okay. Hi, Doctor Tom. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Yay. <laughs> good morning. How are you? We are so excited. Oh, I'm very well, and thank you. I'm excited, too. Uh, uh, we just had a beautiful morning here and went for a walk and came back, and uh, it's just another lovely day. So, hi. What's the weather like? <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're in Austin, right? 
Uh, no, I was in Austin yesterday. I'm in uh, Southern California ah. today. Aha, uh-huh. Northern? Oh, oh, you're in Southern California. Aha. Uh-huh. Correct. It's a warm, Correct. little yep. warm-up. Yes, yes, it's uh, uh, wonderful. You know, I lived in Chicago for 30 years, and I moved to Southern California five years ago. And uh, I used to say when I lived in Chicago, you know, these people would talk about California. I go, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, they're exaggerating. <laughs> no, they're not. Right. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not exaggerating. So it's just beautiful well, here. Well, Dr. And, Tom, um Tiffany lives uh, in Southern California, too. Tiff, how far away are you, Dr. Tom? How far away are you guys? Oh, how marvelous. I'm in Encinitas. Encinitas. I'm in Joshua Tree. Well, just oh, my 10 goodness. minutes what, outside What a beautiful Joshua area Tree. that is. It is, and we're we're actually warmer a little bit. We went through this, you know, a few days of a cold spurt, which was fabulous. I was thoroughly enjoying that. And now today it looks like it's going to be a little bit warmer, so probably top out about 80. Now, today, what's a cold spurt in Joshua Tree? Well, you know, believe it or not, people think I'm I'm nuts, but I've been standing out there at the Joshua Tree Farmers Market and, you know, probably 12 inches of snow. And I, and I always Whoa. laugh because my my customers will always come up to me like, "Tiffany, why are you here?" You know, and I'll say, "Because <laughs> you're here." <laughs> Yes, yes. You know, we, I didn't know it snowed there. We're, How wonderful. Yeah, well, it's it's not very common and it, believe it or not, it's absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely oh, gorgeous when it snows, but I think people come out, you know, when we're so used to sunshine and just beautiful weather, for the most part, pretty much all year round. I mean, even a really, really cold day, which will hit 20 here, um, you know, you can still go hiking in the park. It's still fabulous, you know. I mean, it's bright and sunny and, and just Oh, my goodness, but. yes, and it's spectacularly beautiful, and it's, it's like being in another world, Joshua Tree. Oh, and what's funny is, is right now we got so much rain. Uh, I live up on the Mesa, which is about just 10 minutes uh, north of Joshua Tree. But um, when we got all of that rain, you know, we really had a ton of rain. They said we actually had more than an inch of rain in those two days, which is a ton of rain, believe it or not, uh, for this particular area. And so everything has this really beautiful green you know, short grass that's coming up all across. It's it's phenomenal. You know, I mean, you would think you were in Scotland or something like that. Yes, <laughs> and is that current now that it's that way? It is. It's gorgeous, literally, for everybody in Southern California. It is absolutely going to be phenomenal because we have so many things that still bloom in the yes. fall and the winter, you know. Yes. Um, you know, because we're, for the most part, 70, you know. So for many parts of the world, that's like a smoke and warm day, you know. Yes, exactly, exactly, and flowers will bloom. And, and, Absolutely. Uh, well, I have yes. to jump in. I have to jump in and just and tease you guys because, um, you know, I live in Costa Rica. So. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> and, Valid point. And it's point well taken. Yeah. Touche. However, what I was – you're right, sorry. Touche. I was going to say, you guys get snow. And, and of course, you know, we have, you know, 75-degree weather year-round here. I live in a little town um, outside of the, the airport about an hour away from the beach. And it's in the mountains and everything. And we have spectacular weather. But we don't have snow. And we don't have the seasons. And I miss that. Like, I miss it in my bones. Yes. And so when you guys talk about green and flower and stuff and green and flowers and blooming, you know, I got you on that one. But you guys yes. got me on the snow and <laughs> and all that, right? Yes, yes. Well, it's a I win-win for everyone. I my bones. That's right. That's right. Well, Dr. Tom, we are 
absolutely thrilled to talk to you. I cannot even tell you how many times we have said your name on previous shows because Tiffany <laughs> and I feel, you know, like we're going to be uh, put on the spot here with this gluten. So let's just jump right in. All right. All right. So let me just ask, are we live right now? Yes, we is this, are. Is this broadcasting? It yes. is. Oh, how great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, hello, everyone. <laughs> So, Dr. Tom, uh, we know uh, there's just so many amazing things that I I know that you're going to share with us, but I personally would love to know your health story. Was there something behind this that made you dive in and say there has to be something more to this subject? Was there a personal um, health story for you? Well, there is. There are um, a few, actually. The, The initiating one, was that 35 years ago, my ex and I could not get pregnant. And I called the seven most famous doctors I'd ever heard of and asked, what do you do for infertility? And they all told me what they do, and they were kind enough to take my call. I was an intern at the time and really didn't know anything of what I was talking about. But they'd say, for example, you know what a Category 1 is? i say, no, and they said, learn, okay, okay, and i just write it down really quick, Category 1. And they put, they wrote down, all, or they said all these things that I wrote down. I put a program together, and we were pregnant in six weeks. And my neighbors in married housing, we lived on campus at the time, they had been through artificial insemination, and nothing had worked for them. And they had asked if I'd work with them, and I said, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but, you know, I don't think it will hurt you in any way. Sure. She was pregnant <laughs> in three months. And so we were just hot to trot. You know, I was ready to get out and practice and help the whole world get pregnant if they wanted to, you know, if they were having problems. And um, it really was my introduction uh, in my education. I was privileged enough to be in the first uh, lecture that Dr. Jeffrey Bland ever gave in Chicago in 1978. And so I've been following him ever since. And he's, the, of course, the godfather of functional medicine. And so I came out into my practice with this big picture overview immediately because in dealing with infertility you have to you you have to get the big picture of what's not working in somebody's body and rarely is the problem where the symptoms are rarely is that the case so for anyone that has recurrent headaches rarely is it a problem of your head rarely there's right, usually right. something that is triggering this mechanism. If so, you know, if you have recurrent knee pain, rarely is it the knee, it, uh, unless it's been damaged because it's been beat up so much. Uh, but it might be flat feet that are causing a distortion in your gait and your walk, very subtle. But over time, that will cause uh, inflammation in the knee, causing pain in the knee. It might be a problem in your back. It could be a poor functioning muscle. Uh, that stabilizes the knee and muscles related to different organs. And so it might be a problem with your adrenal glands, for example, that gives you knee pain. Uh, So it just depends on what system you're talking about, but rarely is the problem where the symptom is. So I learned that in terms of uh, hormones and endocrine balancing right out of the gate. And the uh, there's... Very few things in healthcare that you can say all or every. Very few, right. but this one, uh, this one I can, and that is that everyone that has some type of a hormone irregularity 
everyone that I've ever checked in my clinical practice has as a component of the trigger causing the hormone irregularities a problem with some of the foods they're eating, and they usually don't know it. So there are food food sensitivities in every case of hormone imbalances or poor hormone function that I've ever seen. And that certainly is the case in uh, fertility issues and reproductive disorders and women with recurrent miscarriages, that there are many reasons why that might occur, but there's always a food component to it. And, of course, the, the reason for that, and this leads into the whole discussion today, is that if you're eating a food that your body is sensitive to, you're causing inflammation. All degenerative diseases, whatever they are, all degenerative diseases, as far as I know, every degenerative disease is a disease of inflammation at the cell levels. It just depends. Is it a pancreas cell and its diabetes or is a blood vessel cell in the brain and its migraines? And There's always inflammation in those cells. So the first rule of thumb, if you want to be healthier, the very first rule of thumb, the foundational principle in getting healthier is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. That if you have an inflammatory state going on in your body, whether it's restless leg syndrome or MS or rheumatoid uh, or constipation, um, if there's a chronic complaint, there's inflammation. And so the first thing to calm down the inflammation in the cells is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. And that's the foods that you might be eating that you're sensitive to. And so identifying those is primary, primary in the world of functional medicine. Uh, And as you guys know, I'm on the faculty of the Institute for Functional Medicine, and that's what we teach doctors is that you must always evaluate your patient's lifestyle choices in terms of the foods they're choosing as a component contributing to whatever their presenting complaint is. So it's foods. You always have to include looking at foods. Now, there are many, many reasons why people have health imbalances and be silly to say food is the cause of all of them, but food sensitivities is a trigger in any hormone irregularities and many, many other conditions. And that's what got me into all of this. And the most common food that people are sensitive to is gluten. That's the most common. We average 132.5 pounds a year per person in the U.S. consumption of wheat, 132.5 pounds. Now, I don't eat any. That means that somebody else is eating 265 pounds per year. (laughs) (laughs) So just just for those that don't know, uh, Dr. Tom, what is gluten? That's a really good question. Um, Gluten is not bad for you. Bad gluten is bad for you. That gluten is the name of a family of proteins, that's in wheat and rye and barley and corn and rice and quinoa and uh, uh, naturally, right? Teff. Yes, it, na- it's just it one. Can be, of, it can be added to just about anything, but those well, are naturally occurring, right? That's true. It's a it's, it's a category of proteins that are in most grains, and so um, gluten is not bad for you, but it's the family of gluten proteins that are in wheat, rye, and barley. Those the ones. Those are the ones that all of the hullabaloo is about. And the big it's humdingers. They're, they're the humdingers. 
<laughs> and the reason is that, um, well, it finally came out this year. Uh, Harvard published a study in January of this year, Dr. Fasano and his team at Harvard, that they, they looked at people with celiac disease. That's when you have a wheat sensitivity affecting your gut. They looked at people that did not have celiac disease, but they had a sensitivity to gluten. They're called non-celiac gluten-sensitive people. They looked at celiacs who had been on a gluten-free diet for a year or two already. So freshly diagnosed, year or two on a gluten-free diet, non-celiac gluten-sensitive people, and then controls, people that had no problem with gluten at all. They looked at all four groups, and they exposed the patient's blood to uh, uh, gluten. What did they find? Every single person activates the genes for increased intestinal permeability, the slang term is the leaky gut, increased intestinal permeability immediately upon exposure to gluten. Every human, this happens in all of us, every time you eat it. Now, how come everybody's not sick? Well, that's because wheat, the, the gluten proteins in wheat, are a mild to moderate pathogen. Now, what I mean by that is that we all know that we have the same body as our ancestors thousands of years ago, right? And your, your immune system, it's there to protect you. You've got an army. It's the armed forces. It's there to protect you. You've got an army, an air force, a marines, a coast guard, a navy, an IGA, IgG, IgE, IgM, IgD. I mean, different ways that you can measure the immune system trying to protect you. So what happens when you eat wheat, wheat comes down into the intestines and just past the stomach. You know, in the stomach, it's very, very acidic. It's really, really high acid content. Uh, if you took the acid that's produced on your, uh, in your stomach and you put it on a piece of wood, it eats through the wood. Mm-hmm. But you can have that acid in your stomach all day because there's a kind of cell in your stomach called a parietal cell that makes the mucus so that that acid can sit there and not eat away the tissue. But it'll digest and break up any food that comes down it. That's the purpose of it. So you eat food, and if there's anything that's not broken down by the uh, acid in the stomach, like any bugs or bacteria, it gets into the small intestine. The sentries are standing guard just inside the small intestine. If anything gets in there that shouldn't be there, it activates the immune response immediately, saying, we got a bug here that shouldn't be here. we got a parasite. See, our ancestors only had to fight five things. And my good friend, Dr. Mark Houston at Vanderbilt University, he's the world's leading functional vascular biologist. That means a guy that specializes in the blood vessels. And he looks at uh, the blood vessels from a big-picture perspective and cardiovascular disease. And he's trained thousands of docs how to look at cardiovascular disease from a bigger picture. So what Mark says, and he's absolutely right, that the human body has a limited number of resources, meaning Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Navy, Mm -hmm. to deal with an unlimited number of insults. That when when our ancestors were walking the planet, the only thing that could get into their body that was really a threat for them was bugs, worms, viruses, molds, and fungus. That was it. There, there was no bisphenol A. 
which is the chemical that softens plastic and is found in every single human's body in the United States when they're checked. And every baby has bisphenol A now. Uh, the studies three years ago were 9 out of 10 babies, and now a study is out that's 10 out of 10 of umbilical cord blood has bisphenol A in it. And bisphenol A, this chemical that softens plastic, it's in the water supply, it's everywhere, and it binds on estrogen receptor sites and it causes hormone-related cancers and all kinds of problems. Every baby has that in their bloodstream now. And the immune mm. system wasn't designed to handle bisphenol A or excess mercury or lead or um, arsenic uh, or P PCBs or DDTs or parabens or any of the other of the thousands of toxic chemicals that we're exposed to now every day. I mean, you know, if you look at the statistics about diseases across the board, they're going up so quickly in the last 30 years for kids and for adults. And it's because our bodies are being exposed to an unprecedented number of toxins that we've never been exposed to before in the history of humankind. And your body has a limited number of options to deal with an unlimited number of insults. And so when this gluten protein from wheat started coming into the digestive tract with our ancestors 10,000 years ago, that's when they started eating wheat, and that's a blip on the screen, 1% of how long humans have been on the planet. But when this how wheat long started, did you say, Dr. Tom, since they've been 10,000 years ago. Wow. That's, that's when humans first started eating wheat. Uh, is the uh, 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 Mesopotamian Valley, you know, uh, between the Tigris right. and Euphrates rivers, and they they when when our ancestors stopped being herders, functioning or following the migration of animals year round to get their food, when they stopped being hunters, not herders, hunters, when they stopped being hunters and they settled down in one place, that's when agriculture began, and that was ten thousand years ago. And that's a blip on the screen in our genetics. So -hmm. when they started doing that and they started eating wheat, our immune systems back then looked at wheat as a mild to moderate toxin. So you eat wheat. It wasn't like the bucket theory, you know, where we're we're just overloaded and anything can just send it over, spilling over. They had just... Uh, that's, That's exactly what it is. It's called a loss of oral tolerance. Uh, that's the technical name for the bucket theory. Uh, so <laughs> I'm the lame happened, theory. <laughs> okay. What, what's happened is that um, we're exposed to, but back in those days, uh, our ancestors, they say, ah, it's just sweets, no big deal, let it go by, no problem, no need to trigger an inflammation response to protect you. It's just a little wheat, no big deal. Now we're eating so much more, 132.5 pounds per year, of this stuff and now because our immune systems are so stressed every day every meal you're eating vegetables so you're eating carrots but they're conventionally grown carrots and they've got all these toxic chemicals in them and Mm -hmm. but you're eating the vegetables so there's healthy parts of the vegetable for you but now your immune system and your gut has to say wait a minute what about these toxic chemicals what about this antibiotic residue that's in the peppers because they spray the vegetables with antibiotics now or what about the glyphosate, which is the GMO chemical that residue is in so much of the food now? Your immune system's having to deal with all of these molecules that are coming in with the food that you're eating that wasn't around 30 years ago. It wasn't there. Now it's here every day, every meal, every glass of water you drink, 
you know, that there's some level of toxins in just about everything unless you're eating organic, uh, pure organic, and have uh, a triple filtered water. Um, the level of toxins that you're exposed to is off the charts. Never before in history have we had this. And the result is your immune system just inside the small intestine, they're called dendritic cells, they're standing guard there, and they're having to fire chemical bullets constantly, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And your ancestors only had to use their dendritic cells to fire chemical bullets if you got a bad meal. You know, you found an animal, a carcass that had been, was starting to decay and you couldn't see the little worms in there, but you were eating and they had worms. Your immune system had to kill that stuff before it could take hold in your gut. And so it didn't have to work constantly with every meal every day. Now your dendritic cells are working constantly more inflammation in the intestines to deal with the toxic chemicals that we have no other way to deal with. The only way we can deal with them is if it's a parasite, a bug, a bacteria, a worm, a virus, a mold, or a fungus. That's the only way it can deal with these chemicals. And so it's firing these chemical bullets all the time, all the time, all the time, and it becomes trigger-happy and really sensitive and worn out and just can't take even a little irritant anymore. So the mild to moderate toxin which is what the gluten proteins of wheat have always been, a mild to moderate toxin is now enough to trigger the immune response. And when you trigger that immune response, now you get elevated antibodies to the peptides of wheat or rye or barley, and then the whole systemic cascade begins. But it's the loss of oral tolerance when your dendritic cells become trigger-happy because they're working so hard all the time to protect you when you have loss of oral tolerance, that's when you cross the line, that imaginary line, and you no longer will say, ah, weed, it's no big deal, just let it, let it go by. Now it becomes a problem. So I started all of this off with Dr. Fasano and his team showing that wheat causes inflammation in every human immediately upon eating it. But it's not been a symptom producer, and you notice that it's a problem until you cross that imaginary line, wherever that is. Now it becomes, and that can be when you're two years old, 22 years old, or 62 years old. Now it's a problem. Dr. Tom, I, I have to cut you off real quick. Can you hear, actually, I think, Dana, can you hear that, that like, static in the back? It's, oh, I'm sorry. That's the ocean. Oh, no, uh, that's actually Dana's rain. <laughs> oh. In Costa Rica. Oh, I <laughs> thought it was the like waves. Crazy. I thought it was the waves here in California. So it's it's well, the Well, it could uh, be that too. It's a double dose it could, waves yeah. and rain, right? Well, I hope everybody enjoys the cosmopolitan experience of this blog. Exactly. Right? Exactly, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Dr. Tom, I've got to bring up I'm I'm married to uh, a Yugoslav baker's son. And so when I first started having problems, right, we'll just start out with that. When I first started having problems, mine go, my response is, is directly to the brain. I, I you know, yes. cognitive problems, it's kind of like who's on first, what's my name, where, where, which direction am I supposed to go? Yes. But so my husband in the beginning was like, there is no way. Because I, you know, of course, was just, you know, going from eat this and feeling poorly and then finally found a pattern after a certain period of time and went, you know, that's crazy. Because I had used wheat for so long as a food-controlled diabetic, it was very helpful in helping me control my blood sugars. 
Yes. So, anyways, long story short, you know, realizing that that was the trigger, my husband was like, "That's impossible." So he started doing all of, you know, tell, trying to tell a baker's grandson that, you know, yep. <laughs> that the, the wheat was the problem. You know, he didn't respond to that very well, and I'm sure you probably see that more often than you would care to. <laughs> People that yes, just can't we, wrap we their head around. Yes, we call that having your head in dark places. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh, I'm gonna love that one. That is the perfect doing... way of saying that. Huh? That is exactly it. right. I love exactly it. Couldn't right. be more perfect. Been married 25 years. I'm just gonna tell him. Dr. Tom said you've got your head in a dark place. <laughs> yes, you know, um, it it doesn't matter what people believe. It matters what the right. science says. Just uh, read the okay. science, man. Just Absolutely. read the science. Okay. And if if you don't like what you read, tough. But that's, that's right. Just read the science. That's a that's a choice type of a deal. But what was exactly. interesting, and I think he's, he's you know, probably more on board with it now, uh, but he still has no symptoms. So he has, and, and Dana's husband is the same, he has no symptoms. And I'm getting to a question here, so don't, don't run off on me. But uh, <laughs> what he found out in the process of all of that, you know, talking to his father who had worked in the bakery and everything, was that processing of wheat had changed significantly as well going from small bakers to commercial bakers. Right. So knowing that that was, uh, you know, you know the science that it's, it's problematic, and then all of a sudden understanding in commercial baking the addition of salt and not rinsing off the flour like a small baker would do, um, you know, so they kind of created this extra strength gluten in the process of everything too, right? So they, they basically made this, this super monster protein, would you be in agreement with that? Well, that's correct. It's called the 50-50 rule. Uh, in the last 50 years, the gluten content of wheat has gone up by 50%. But Dr. Don Casarda at uh, uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, he is the world specialist on wheat. Uh, and from the Department of Agriculture perspective, how it grows, different fields, different kinds of wheat. Um, and he's been involved in the research on celiac disease for 30 years. Um, he was very clear that's not the problem. It's right. not that um, there's more gluten in the wheat. Yes, there is a little bit more. Yes, there is, but that's not the problem. And he agrees the problem is a loss of oral tolerance. So it doesn't matter because it the studies matter. are now clear. If you eat the ancient grains, you still activate the genes for inflammation in your gut. So it doesn't matter whether it's the new hybrids or the ancient grains. You cannot mm. eat no human can get away with eating wheat without it having a physiological effect, a negative effect in their gut. And when they cross that imaginary line, wherever that is, because of the loss of oral tolerance, now you're going to start paying a price. But you may not know you're paying the price because, like your husband, it's not gut symptoms. It may be brain symptoms or it could be kidney symptoms. Let me tell you a case study that I've been starting off some of my lectures with recently. A three-and-a-half-year-old girl was taken to an ophthalmologist because she had this thing in her eye. And it turned out to be a tumor in her eye. And they took a picture of it. They published this in the Indian Journal of Ophthalmology. You see a picture of this eye, and they're holding the eyelid open, so it's in the upper part of the eye, below the black part, the pupil. It's in that white area that's called the conjunctiva. And you see this big, ugly, spider vein-like tumor that's in there. And she's three and a half years old. 
And uh, because mom was HIV positive, they did the diagnosis of Kaposi sarcoma, which is the cancer from HIV, uh, Mm -hmm. when HIV progresses. And it was a Kaposi sarcoma tumor. And they wanted to do a biopsy of the tumor. Well, the parents two weeks earlier had taken the child in for a test because she had abdominal pains for about a year. And they did an endoscopy and a biopsy. That's putting a tube down your throat to look in your your intestines. And they found out right. this little girl had celiac disease. And oh that's when goodness. you have a wheat, a wheat allergy that's mm-hmm. affecting your gut. And the ophthalmologist, uh, so w- when they did the endoscopy, uh, to diagnose the celiac disease, they had given the child a general anesthetic, knocked her out. And the child had a problem, a reaction to it. And this was two weeks later, they're at a new doctor looking at her eye, and they want to give her a general anesthetic and do biopsy of the eye. And the child's panicked uh, because she's terrified of doctors. And so the parents said, no, we'll wait a couple of weeks, you know, but um, um, we'll start her on the gluten-free diet. Are there any drugs you can give us to help her with her eye? And the ophthalmologist said, no, no, you know, we, we need to do the biopsy. And they said, okay, we'll be right. back. So they come back a few weeks later, and the tumor looks a little smaller. So they take a picture, and in two weeks of a gluten-free diet, it's smaller. And then you see the pictures in the medical journal article, in two months, the tumor is gone, completely wow. gone. You reverse Kaposi sarcoma in the conjunctiva of the eye on a gluten-free diet. Sometimes. Sometimes. See, if you pull at a chain, the chain breaks at the weakest link. It's at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidney, your eye. Wherever your genetic weak link is, you pull at the chain, that's where you're going to get problems. And when you are eating a food that's triggering the inflammation molecules in the gut to get activated, fire, fire, fire. Wherever the weak link in your chain is, that's where you're going to have symptoms. For this girl, it was the production of a tumor in her eye. Three-and-a-half-year-old girl. Three-and-a-half-year-old girl. A tumor in their eye. They, they wanted to cut the tumor out. And what would have that done to the rest of her life and her vision? You know, who knows, but it probably wouldn't have been good. Right? And it was just oh, a Oh, not to mention diet. the trauma of the surgery and everything. I mean, gee oh, whiz, on a three-and-a-half-year-old. Right. I've been through that. So I, it, it is very traumatic. It's... Not a pleasant exactly. experience. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so let's, um, let's keep, so oh, no, my keep message, going. On just, your just, just, just complete this one thing. My message is wherever the weak link is in your chain, and that's determined by your genetics and how you've lived your life, like if you have too much mercury in your body or lead or something like that, but also your genetics. Wherever the weak link in your chain is, you pull at the chain, you eat foods that you're sensitive to, that's where the chain's going to break. That's where you're going to get your symptoms. And you may think that your liver cancer is just a fluke, but like my godmother, it killed my godmother. It was liver cancer secondary to undiagnosed celiac disease. And she didn't know until the end that she was a celiac. And then you wow. read the literature and you see that the research papers from uh, Mayo, Mayo Clinic the research paper is talking about the liver in celiac disease and how liver cancer may be the only symptom you ever get. And you never knew what hit you, but it was the allergy to wheat. It was the the reaction to wheat that was the trigger so, that kept damaging the tissue, damaging the tissue, damaging the tissue, and eventually you get a cancer there. Yes. 
So let's yes. talk about that, if that's okay with you, Dr. Tom, and if not, please just put me back on track. But let's talk about the failure of the testing for celiac disease. I've been oh, tested perfect. three times and come out negative every time, and I would be willing to bet my fanny that I have a major issue with gluten. And, you know, I've offered my brain and all kinds of things, and, and people just don't necessarily want to to do. But let's talk about the failure of gluten testing and what, what you like and what you don't like. You bet. Happy to do that. And one of my gifts for your listeners today is a summary of this topic. It's an article called The Conundrum of gluten sensitivity, why the tests are often wrong. And you take this article, you read it yourself, it's going to make sense to you, and then you take it to your doctor and have them read it, and then they'll do the right test. And if they don't do the right test, find a new doctor. Uh, huh. but, you, they, but these guys just don't know about this. All right, so let's talk about it. When you're testing for celiac disease, there are two blood markers that are accepted as being the markers of choice. One is called endomycium and that's the um, uh, saran wrap around your organs and around your muscles and around much of your tissue. Uh, It's called endomycium. And then there's an enzyme inside the endomycium called transglutaminase, technically transglutaminase 2. And so the blood tests for endomycium antibodies or transglutaminase 2 antibodies are the tests of choice. Of the two of them, uh, transglutaminase 2 is a little more wider spectrum, that endomycium, you can count on it to be positive, completely accurate 100% of the time if you have total villus atrophy, if if your intestines are at the end stage of damage. Um, here's how I explain that. You know, say, Mrs. Patient, your intestines are a tube. It's 20 to 25 feet long. The inside of the tube is lined with shag carpeting. This shag over here is where calcium is absorbed, this shag vitamin C, this shag the good fats. All the shags absorb different nutrients. Celiac disease is when your shags wear down and you've got Berber. And if you've got Berber, you don't absorb calcium. You get osteoporosis. It's not rocket science. And so the, um, the test for celiac disease, when your shags wear down and you've got Berber, if you've got Berber, complete Berber, your shags are completely worn down, endomycium is accurate 100% of the time. And transglutaminase is accurate 98, 99 to 100% of the time. But if the shags are not completely worn down, a little bit not complete, then endomycium is negative. Uh, it, it's not very sensitive at all. And transglutaminase is not much better. To where if you have partial wearing down of your shags, called partial villus atrophy, or if you have the inflammation really high that's causing the atrophy, and the atrophy, the wearing down hasn't begun yet, but you've got all the fire there, then the blood test for endomycium and transglutaminase, their accuracy is between 27 and 32%, depending on which study oh you read. Oh, my gosh. And what that, means, what that means is seven out of ten times it comes back and says there's no problem when there really is a problem. So it's extremely wow. accurate. And your doctors have seen the studies that say transglutaminase, 99, 100% of the time, it's accurate. And your... your um, your uh, doctors have seen those studies that say that it's accurate uh, 97, 99, 100% of the time. Um, and they're uh, just willing, but, to, to, willing but, to just wrap their head around and that. And they believe alone. it, but, but yeah. 
how did they do these studies? How come these studies got done? Well, because the researchers that are trying to prove the validity of the test, they get 100, 200 celiac patients' blood. Where do they get the celiac patients' blood? They get it from the blood banks that have frozen blood of people with different diseases. People have been diagnosed with different diseases. You know, if you're a researcher and you have a new drug for MS, you need 100 patients' blood that have MS to see if your treatment's going to work or not. And so these blood banks, they store the blood of people with diagnosed diseases. How do you get a diagnosis of celiac disease? You have to have an endoscopy and your shags have to be worn down completely. Right. So if your shags are worn down completely, mm-hmm. then you get the diagnosis of celiac. That's the blood that the, mm-hmm. that the researchers looking at the accuracy of the blood test use to confirm the blood test hits it. So if you have your shags worn down, so it's like cherry picking. And it's not intentional, right. but they're, they're cherry picking the subjects, not intentionally, right. but inadvertently. Because there's nobody's you know blood in there. It reminds me of adrenal fatigue, all the problems that causes, but, but medicine, conventional medicine doesn't address that until it hits a, a Cushing's or an Addison-type situation. That's, exactly that's sort of right. what that reminds me of. You know what I mean? There you it's, go. It's yes. the, the freight train that's coming going 120 miles an hour, but until it actually hits something or hits somebody, right. it's not a right. problem. That's exactly yeah, right. right, exactly right. So that's why your tests have come back negative is because two reasons. One, you may have an earlier stage of celiac disease, and you don't have total villus atrophy yet because you're a health-oriented person and you've been trying to take care of yourself, And but you, you know there may be something out of balance. But the tests come back negative when you're sure that there's a problem. So it may be that you have an earlier stage of celiac or that you don't have celiac, and what you have is non-celiac wheat sensitivity. And if you have non-celiac wheat sensitivity, the tests for celiac disease are useless. The tests for celiac disease are designed for celiac disease. They are not designed for wheat or gluten sensitivity. So it's apples and oranges. Apples and oranges. So if you want want to check for gluten sensitivity, that's a different test, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you do not use the celiac test to look for a sensitivity to gluten. They're apples and oranges. Now, if you have a sensitivity to gluten and if you have the gene... And if the weak link in your chain is going to be in your gut, then you, you likely will get celiac disease. But if you don't have the gene, or even if you do, but the weak link in your chain is your brain, you're not going to get celiac disease, perhaps. What you'll get is brain problems. For every one person with gut symptoms with celiac, there are eight that don't have gut symptoms. and the, So the ratio is eight to one. Wow. So, say that wow. again so set, for the listeners, that's, that's, Dr. Yeah, Tom. I, that, that's yeah. a profound statement. Can you say that again? You bet. For every, for every one person who has gut symptoms with celiac disease, there are eight that do not. They have wow. no gut symptoms. They have brain symptoms or gallbladder symptoms or kidney symptoms or muscle symptoms or bone symptoms. They have some other weak link in their chain, which is where it will manifest, not in the gut. So, right, and for me, wow. it's my brain, and not only that, but I have significant pain in you know my my lower tailbone and my left hip, which they diagnosed as piriformis syndrome. But I find that very interesting because the pain only comes when I eat certain things. So I've had trouble well, wrapping my just, head around that only being piriformis syndrome because that would not come and go. Well, I think maybe you've got a piriformis that has a food sensitivity. 
<laughs> there we go. <laughs> that the food is the trigger for a weak link in your system is your musculoskeletal system. The piriformis muscle is part of the buttock group of muscles, and it's a really important one for hip stability, and it can cause pain down the leg because the sciatic nerve in 30% of the people goes through the piriformis. So if your piriformis is overly tight, if that's the weak link in your chain when you are exposed to gluten is that you get muscle inflammation and it shows that tightness in a certain muscle, here come the symptoms. And it could be in your low back, it could be the piriformis, it could be in your calves, and you get restless leg syndrome. It just depends on where the weak link in your chain is. So I, the diagnosis I love the fact of, that, you're, that you're covering so many symptoms that, that really have nothing to do with digestive. You know, I don't think many people realize, you know, they're like, well, I don't have any tummy problems. I'm good. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You have to get away from <laughs> that right. thinking, oh, I eat this and I don't feel bad. But right. two hours later, you've got um, gallbladder pain and it's radiating into the middle of your back. That may be the only trigger you've got. You know, that well, that I may have, be the weak link in your chain. Or mucus, or you know, mucus. sinus mucus. from Mucus. You know, yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, people with recurrent sinusitis. I mean, I loved when patients come in with recurrent sinusitis, you know, and they've, oh, I've had seven sinus infections in the last eight years. Oh, wonderful. Great. Let's nail that. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's just stop the mucus. Uh, because people that eat food they're sensitive to, you can't digest that food very well. It produces mucus. And so your head becomes a human Petri dish. And when it's a human Petri dish, bacteria love mucus. They thrive in mucus. There's no white blood cells to protect you inside of mucus. It's a, your, your, your head's a Petri dish. So you get sinus infections and you get ear infections and they recur because of all this mucus that's there. How do you get rid of the infections? Get rid of the mucus. How do you get rid of the mucus? Stop eating the food that's causing the mucus. And for many wow. people, that's dairy. You know, and, and for some, it's gluten. I mean, I know that sounds so simple, what you just said, but but it's not really for a lot of people. Just well, stop it's profound. But it is. And right. my mentor, my, my first mentor was Dr. George Goodhart, the founder of Applied Kinesiology. That's all the muscle testing that some docs do. And we called him the Great Wazoo. The guy was brilliant, <laughs> and he just had, he was a, an excellent teacher, you know. And he used to drill into us, and he'd slam his foot on the stage you go, why, doctor? Does your patient have these symptoms? Don't just think about the symptoms. Think about why they have those symptoms. Where are they coming from? And he drilled it into us. And one, one of the things he said is that when you get a big picture, what you see is the body is simply intricate and intricately simple. Simple. That there are some basic foundational premises that if your listeners will just listen with ears that hear, there are some basic foundational principles that will change your life. The first one is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. Whether you hmm. like it or not, if your immune system says you got a problem with this food, you got a problem with the food. And if you right. don't want to have that link break down in your life and get gallbladder cancer or migraines or seizures, you know, 50% of children with drug-resistant epilepsy, 50% of them. Drug-resistant epilepsy means that the drugs don't work and children are still having the seizures. And if you're a parent, that just breaks your heart to see your child still having a seizure as they're going through this. 50% of these children go into complete remission on a gluten-free diet when the drugs haven't worked. Wow. 
And that's in the well, Journal of Gastroenterology. Profound. That is that's profound. And that's, that's in the Journal of Gastroenterology. How come because our neurologists don't imagine, know that? Right? Be, because neurologists don't read gastroenterology journals. They read no, neurology journals. They don't. That's absolutely so, true. <laughs> so they don't know this. But 50% of these children. So wherever the weak link in the chain is, that's where you're going to have the problem. So let's, let's I mean, talk if you can, about, because I'm sorry, Dana, go ahead. That's okay. I was going to say, let's let's talk about, so we've, we've determined that gluten is a major problem. So let's talk about, uh, you know, because I don't, I don't want to spend your precious time on something. You're like, listen, it, it's there, but let's just leave it alone. Let's talk about cross-reactivity for people who have removed gluten already and they're still feeling unwell. Sure. What um, now? Isn't, isn't the theme here today something about the thyroid? It is. It is. <laughs> is that right? I was yeah. going <laughs> to... No, no, no. Okay. I'll answer it. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it from the thyroid. I'll answer it from the thyroid. But it's a okay, really good perfect. example that wherever the weak link is... So you want to talk about the weak link being the thyroid? The principles are the yes. same. So... So let's talk about the weak link being the thyroid with cross-reactivity. Okay? So, yes. Okay. Um, if you think of food like a raspberry, there's lots of little parts to it. You know, if you look at a raspberry, it looks all those little parts look the same, those little balls on the outside of the raspberry. Mm-hmm. Digestion is breaking down that raspberry into each little part of the raspberry, each little part. Now, the cheesecloth that's covering your shags, only allows certain size molecules to get in. Bigger molecules can't get in, that they've got to be broken down into smaller pieces of the raspberry. So the enzymes, your digestive enzymes, break it down a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller, and as the food's traveling down the digestive tract, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller because it's being broken down by the digestive soup into smaller pieces, smaller pieces, smaller pieces, until they're small enough to go right through the cheesecloth into the, it's called the submucosa, and into the bloodstream. Then your body can use these vitamins and minerals and amino acids to make new bone cells and new brain cells and new hormones and all of that. So that's why your intestines is 20 feet long. I mean, how come it's 20 feet long? Well, it's because (laughs) it takes a long time to break down some of these foods. Our enzymes can break them down, but they don't break them down really quickly. It can take hours so you have to move things along really slow. It's like a cattle drive, you know. You just want to, you want these little doggies to be moving along nice and slow. Move along, little doggie, move along. You know, you watch all those old cowboy movies. They're just moving yeah. slow. Now, if you got diarrhea, that's a stampede. <laughs> I've never thought of that before. That's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's really good. Uh, so. So you're digesting this food. It takes time to digest this food. And um, as the pieces get broken down small enough, the easy ones to break off, they get absorbed right away in the small intestine. And the ones that are a little more difficult get broken down a little further down. And the ones that are really difficult get broken down even further down the intestines. But when, you, when there's an insult that comes in and the sentry's standing guard, if anything gets past the hydrochloric acid in the stomach, and gets into that first part of the small intestine, that's where the sentries are standing guard. They're called dendritic cells. And they're there to say, whoa, what's this? This is not good. Alarm, alarm, bring me, bring me some fire here. I need some fire. And here come, here come, they're called cytokines. They're chemical bullets to destroy whatever this thing is that's gotten past the stomach 
into the intestines. That's how our body works. It's very cool. Now, what are the five things that our, our ancestors were exposed to that were a threat and that we are designed to handle? Parasites, bugs, viruses, molds, and fungus. That's it. And so whatever it is, our bodies think it's a parasite, a bug, a virus, a mold, or a fungus. That's it. So it comes in, it turns on the cytokines to kill this thing off. If it can't kill it off completely, then it calls in the big guns. Um, so the, the cytokines are like a, a, a pistol that you've got on your hip, you know, that our immune system fires these pistols called chemical bullets called cytokines. But if they don't work, if this thing is more resistant than what the pistols can do, then the bazookas get called out. Those are called antibodies. And you start making antibodies to that substance, whatever it is. So you've got this food coming down. It's supposed to be broken down in a sequential order. And as the easy stuff gets broken down, it should go through the first part of the intestine. And the more difficult stuff goes through the later part of the intestines. Here's the trigger. Every human gets a tear in the cheesecloth whenever they're exposed to gluten. Immediately upon it getting into the small intestine, it causes inflammation and it tears the cheesecloth. But the fastest growing cells in the body are the inside lining of the intestines. Every three to seven days, you have a new lining to your gut, completely new lining to your gut. When you see movies of how these cells reproduce, it's very cool. Slow motion movies of it. So you have toast for breakfast. You tear the lining of your gut, but it heals. You have a sandwich for lunch, you tear the lining of your gut, but it heals. You have pasta for dinner, you tear the lining of your gut, but it heals. Every human gets the tears every time they eat wheat, but you heal. And the next day, and the next day, and the next week, and month, and year after year after year after year, until one day, one day you cross that imaginary line, you don't heal anymore. Now you get tears in the cheesecloth, that's called pathogenic intestinal permeability, and it doesn't heal or the slang term is leaky gut. Now you have a meal, and the food you're eating, it's coming down to be digested the way it's supposed to. You know, the easy stuff gets broken off first, and the tougher stuff is supposed to go further down. But wait, there's a tear in the cheesecloth. And the tougher stuff, the still bigger molecules, gets through the tears in the cheesecloth in the first part of the intestine. It's not supposed to happen, but the intestines are torn now. And now these big molecules called macromolecules get into the bloodstream. When they get into the bloodstream, your brain says, whoa, what's this? This is not something I can use as raw material to make new bone cells or brain cells or hormones. I better fight this. Immune system, fight this thing. Now your immune system, because it's a directive from the brain, brings out the bazookas. And you make antibodies to that macro molecule, that big molecule that got through the tears in the cheesecloth. So now you make antibodies. And if that big molecule that got through was beef, now you make antibodies to beef. If it's tomatoes, now you make antibodies to tomatoes. And that's the person that does a 90-food panel allergy test, and they come back allergic to 25 or 30 foods. Oh, my God, that's everything I eat. Well, of course it's what you eat. Your body's trying to protect you because these molecules are getting through before they were supposed to get through. They're getting into the bloodstream because the cheesecloth has been torn because you're eating wheat that tears the cheesecloth every time you eat it. That's the whole mechanism of where this comes from. So so now you've got the antibodies in your bloodstream that are going after gluten. Let's say they're, um, uh, the gluten molecules get in there. So I got off on a little tangent about the um, uh, foods that you can be sensitive to, and it kind of took us away from cross-reactivity. Let's bring it back okay. now to cross-reactivity. 
So now the gluten molecules are in your bloodstream. They're poorly digested. They're big molecules. See, Mrs. Patient, proteins are like a pearl necklace. Hydrochloric acid made in the stomach undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. And your enzymes are like scissors. They're supposed to cut off each pearl of the pearl necklace. When they cut off each pearl of the pearl necklace, that's called an amino acid. And that's tiny enough to go right through the cheesecloth. The problem with gluten in wheat, rye, and barley is that we don't have the scissors to cut it off. And the best we can do is to break it into clumps. So you don't have the single amino acids. You've got a 33 amino acid clump called alpha-glidin. You've got a 17 amino acid clump, a 13 amino acid clump. You've got these big clumps of gluten poorly digested. And they go right through the tears in the cheesecloth. They cause the tears in the cheesecloth, and they go right through into the bloodstream. When they get into bloodstream, your body makes antibodies to these chunks of the pearl necklace called peptides, gluten peptides. The most common one is the 33 pearl chunk. That's called alpha-glidin. And every laboratory in the country, when they look for gluten sensitivity, they look for alpha-glidin. That's all they look for. So if you have elevated antibodies to alpha-glidin, you got a problem with gluten. Like it or not, you got a problem. But, and once again, that's the only test in almost every laboratory to look for a sensitivity to gluten is alpha-glidin. But wait, the research shows there's over 62 peptides of gluten, meaning chunks of the pearl necklace, that have been shown to stimulate an immune response. How come we're only checking one? There's no answer mm-hmm. to that question. Uh, researchers right. started publishing on this back in 1999. Say, hey, guys, there's many different peptides of gluten that could be a problem. We should be checking more than just one. And they started publishing research papers on this in 2002, looking at celiacs with different peptides of gluten. And they found there were many different peptides, 62, many different peptides of gluten that could be a problem, and they may not react to alpha-glidin. About 50% of them react to alpha-glidin, but 50% don't. They react to something else. So if you're looking for a gluten sensitivity, by checking for alpha-glidin, you're going to miss 50% of them. And we'll talk about the test for that in a few minutes. But 50% of celiacs will have elevated antibodies to alpha-glidin. Now, it's 33 amino acids long, but I'm going to refer to it as AABCD. And it really is 33 letters, but I'm just going to do AABCD. So AABCD is in the bloodstream. And the brain says, whoa, what's this? This is not good for me. I better fight this. Yo, immune system. You take care of this. When you, the immune system is told to make antibodies to something, it's exactly what happens when you get a vaccination for measles. So I'm going to talk about measles, then I'll bring it back to this. So when you get vaccinated for measles, they give you a shot of the bug, measles. And your brain says, well, what's this? This is not good for me. I better fight this. Yo, general. And you're in your immune system, you've got Army, Air Force, Marine Corps generals sitting around with nothing to do. General, you now are General Measles. <laughs> Take care of this. General Measles builds an assembly line. The assembly line starts producing soldiers. They're called antibodies. And those soldiers are trained to go after measles. That's all they do. That's their job. Look for measles anywhere in the bloodstream. So imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's got his head out of a big Humvee 
and he's got a submachine gun. He's got those big glasses on. Here in California, we call him the governator. So imagine <laughs> you've got the governor, and you go, over there, over there, and he's firing these chemical bullets at A, A, B, C, D, anywhere he can find it. Now, your blood's a highway. It's just a highway of traffic. It's all going the same direction, but there's no lanes. Everything's bumping into everything else. So Arnold's trying to fight, fire these chemical bullets at AABCD that's bouncing around in the bloodstream. They're all going the same way, but you know sometimes there's collateral damage. Or Arnold's looking for AABCD. Now, let's say the blood's going past the thyroid. So you're going through the thyroid right now. The blood's going through the thyroid, and the wall that's facing the bloodstream from the thyroid is made up of proteins and fats. Those proteins in the wall of the thyroid facing the bloodstream, those proteins are made up of amino acids. They're hundreds of amino acids long. A component of those hundreds of amino acids on the wall of the thyroid facing the bloodstream is AABCD. That's a part of the bigger amino acid structure of the wall of the thyroid. So Arnold's going around looking for AABCD. Oh, look over there. And he fires a <laughs> chemical bullet at the thyroid cell. You damage the thyroid cell. Now, if you ever get a blood test for thyroid and you ask them to look at the antibodies, you'll see that there's a normal reference range for antibodies to your thyroid. Why would there ever be a normal reference range for antibodies to your own tissue? Why would your immune system make antibodies to, to your own tissue? It's because your cells get damaged and they've got to be replaced. So you have to get rid of the damaged cells. Remember, you have a whole new body every seven years. You've got to get rid of those damaged cells. So your body makes antibodies to get rid of the damaged thyroid cells. So Arnold, so you have toast for breakfast. AABCD gets in the bloodstream. Here comes Arnold to go after AABCD. He's firing his chemical bullets. He hits a thyroid. Then your body makes thyroid antibodies to get rid of the damaged thyroid cell. Then you have the sandwich for lunch. More AABCD antibodies are produced. Arnold fires more. Boom, 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 boom. Now oh, he hits a thyroid again and again and again. And you make more thyroid antibodies to get rid of the damaged thyroid cells. This goes on day after week after month after year after year after year. If your thyroid is the weak link in your chain where Arnold's attacking because AABCD is throughout the body everywhere, but in this discussion we're doing thyroid. So Arnold's firing and he mistakenly fires at the thyroid and you keep making antibodies to get rid of the damaged thyroid cells. Eventually, the thyroid antibody cell production has a life of its own and it becomes self-perpetuating. Now you make elevated levels of antibodies to your thyroid, not just the normal level, but elevated levels all the time, and you're killing off more thyroid cells, killing off more thyroid cells, killing off more thyroid cells. That is molecular mimicry. That's how it happens. And it could be in your brain. It could be in the myelin in your brain or your cerebellum in your brain. It could be on your gallbladder. It can be in your liver. The studies are out on all of this. You just have to read the literature, and you will see how molecular mimicry has been demonstrated in many, many different tissues in the body from AABCD. That self-perpetuating problem, that can be the reason why so many people feel better going off of gluten, but yet their antibodies won't necessarily come down all the way because it's a self-perpetuate, right? We've already gone into that program, right? That's exactly right. Now, sometimes the antibody loads will come down and you reverse uh, rheumatoid, you reverse psoriasis, you reverse Hashimoto's thyroid. Sometimes, but sometimes they don't because it's self-perpetuating and now you have an autoimmune disease of your thyroid or of your joints called rheumatoid or of your skin called psoriasis or of your brain called MS. 
so sometimes uh, the self-perpetuating continues. Sometimes when you stop throwing gasoline on the fire, it stops. I know uh, Isabella Wentz just did a study on, it was a fairly large amount, some 80 or 90% of people felt better removing gluten out of their diet, but their antibodies only came down like 32%. Please don't quote me on that. But that when you said that, that's what made me think of that, was the fact that yep. it's, it's already into that self-perpetuating phase, but they feel better. So Yep, so you're exactly right. Don't, don't base exactly it on right. the antibodies. Base it on, on the fact that you're, you know, that you're feeling better. Yes, but, okay, yes, so but, 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 okay. Yes. Hit yeah, break. the elevated okay. antibodies is the primary cause of getting sick and dying in the world today. So uh, my next summit will be next year, and it's on the spectrum of autoimmune disease. And we're going, I'm, I'm traveling the world now interviewing the experts for it. I was Very in cool. uh, uh, Lisbon, Portugal, uh, two weeks ago. I'll be going to London in a few weeks, and then to Germany and to Spain and to Brazil to interview the experts for this one so that everybody's going to understand this in great detail. But it's the elevated antibodies to your own tissue that is the primary mechanism of getting sick and dying in the world. And we're, we're not going to go into all that today, but that's the bottom line. Right, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be 3,000. Uh, just for the listeners out there, my antibodies never exceeded 300, but yet I felt, yeah, you know, was oh, having yeah. this massive reaction. It has nothing to do with numbers, per se. Like No, no, not right. at all. Some people, because the normal range for thyroid antibodies, depending on the laboratory, but it's less than 40, and some people feel really sick at 65, and some people exactly. have no symptoms at 2,000. So exactly. Dan and I talked about that. If it's elevated, it's elevated. Bottom line, if it's elevated, it's elevated. It's elevated, it's elevated. Okay. Got it. So we have a great question for you because this is this is a problem that people think. So if I Dr. Tom, what if I just have a little bit of gluten? Right? What what if I'm not eating a ton of it every <laughs> meal, blah blah blah? What if I'm just doing a little bit? Hit me. Yeah, that's a really well, good I'm question. Not- you know, and in my talks, I do this now all the time. Uh, first thing I do is how many people know or suspect they may have a sensitivity to gluten? And somewhere around, the average is about 80% of the room raise their hand. And I'll say, wow. hold your hands high, please. Hold them up high for a minute. Look around the room. Look around the room. And they see about 80% of the room has raised their hand. And, this is, and then I'll say, and how many of you know or suspect that if you have an inadvertent exposure to gluten, it seems to affect your brain? And about 70% of that 80% raise their hand. Look around the room. So it's not a gut manifestation for most of you. It's somewhere else, right? And, they also, and then I say, right. and do you think your practice is any different than this? Because these are all doctors that I'm talking to. This is not a right. lecture to celiacs. <laughs> this is doctors. Right. I said, you know, that's, that's why I have them look around the room. Now, you just happen to be healthcare doctors with complementary, integrative, alternative, functional medicine, however you call it, but doctors that are getting a bigger picture about how to take care of patients. So you're more sensitive to your own body. And so you notice about gluten being a problem for you. And then the third question is, how many of you will have a little gluten once in a while? Come on, show of hands, show of hands. And almost everyone raises their hand, Uh, almost everyone. Then I show them this study. Oh, boy. They looked at 1,300 celiac patients and 3,300 of their first-degree relatives, that's parents and siblings. They followed them for over 20 years. Every year... They got their blood work if they had gone to a doctor. They got them to answer health questionnaires. Every year they got them to answer, how are you doing on your diet? Do you cheat once in a while? If so, how often? And when you cheat, how do you cheat? What do you eat? And they followed these 5,000 people for over 20 years. What did they find out? Those that, oh, the standard mortality ratio in celiac disease is 2 to 1. What that means, I'm 63. 
if I have celiac disease. I don't, but if I did, and my brother is 62 and he did not have celiac disease, I'm twice as likely to die at 63 than when he gets to be 63 of something. I'm heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, something. I'm twice as likely to die at 30 than when he gets to be 30 of something. I'm twice as likely to die at 90 than when he gets to be 90 of something. That's what SMR, the standard mortality ratio, means. And celiac disease is 2 to 1. That's for all of them, with or without a gluten-free diet. It's 2 to 1. Now, so they followed these 5,000 people for over 20 years. And and so what what did they find out? Those that were meticulous about following the gluten-free diet, meticulous, their SMR was 0.5 to 1, half as often instead of twice as often because they were really meticulous about everything they ate. Half as often. They were healthier. They were more vibrant. Those that were not meticulous, well, this is what the researchers said. Death was most closely associated with diagnostic delay, meaning you didn't get diagnosed earlier in life, pattern of presentation, meaning what are your symptoms, and adherence to the gluten-free diet. Non-adherence to the gluten-free diet, defined as eating gluten once a month, increase your standard mortality ratio to 6 to 1. You are six times more likely to die early in life if you eat gluten once a month. Wow. So I show that to the audience of these doctors where 80% of them just raise their hand that, yeah, they have a little gluten once in a while and their jaws drop. <laughs> right. They just had no idea because they don't feel bad when they eat gluten because only one out of every eight will have abdominal complaints when they eat it. So they don't know that it's the gluten that's causing their elevated antibodies to their thyroid or to their brain or to their heart. They don't know that, that that's what's triggering the degeneration that's occurring into their body. And that goes and on these are years, your doctors, years. Just that's as right. I know, these are your doctors. That's <laughs> oh, exactly that's so right. Scary. Right. Just, just to let you know, right? Okay, well, that's um, exactly we only right. have, you know, 20 minutes or so or so left with you. We could talk to you all day, but I do want to oh, talk gosh. a little bit about the dangers of um, a gluten-free diet. And I also want to talk about the GI shield, your GI shield. Can you can you go there for, for us? Please, oh, you bet. You bet. You bet. The dangers of a gluten-free diet, that is a critical topic. The dangers of a gluten-free diet are, uh, so first I'll do that, and then I'll talk about how do you protect yourself. So um, the FDA published a study this year where they looked at 286 foods that are labeled gluten-free, 286 foods. And they looked at 180 foods that are naturally gluten-free, meaning you you read the label and it says rice pasta, rice, salt, water. Right, naturally gluten-free. So um, they they looked at these foods, almost 500 foods, I think, and they looked with two different tests to see, is there any toxic gluten in these foods? What did they find? In the foods that are labeled gluten-free in the United States, just over 97% of them were gluten-free. That means 3% were not. So that's pretty good for a commercial industry, you know, but if you're one of the 3% mm-hmm. and you got celiac. And I was going to say, you, however. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. But those foods that are naturally gluten-free, like uh, quinoa, nuts, uh, raisins, um, seeds, um, uh, those uh, using those ingredients to make cookies and cakes and things, those foods that are naturally gluten-free, of them have toxic levels of gluten. 
Oh 24.7%. That's one out of four foods. When you go to Starbucks and you look at their little bar that's there at the counter, their little like a candy bar, that, and you read the label, oh, this looks really clean. Okay, there, yeah, there's no wheat or any uh, flour in there. Great. Okay, good. And you eat that. One out of four of those kind of foods have toxic levels of gluten that trigger the whole inflammatory response. And when you, oh, by the way, I have to go back to talk about that. General measles, general measles is called a memory B cell. And the only food that I've ever found in the medical literature, I haven't found any others, for which this happens is gluten. If you have elevated antibodies to gluten, you've triggered a memory B cell to gluten. Now, general measles is vigilant the rest of his life. So after that initial vaccination and you make the antibodies and uh, general and the, the soldiers are killing off the measles, going through the bloodstream, killing off the measles, when all those measles bugs are killed from the vaccination, general measles says, all right, turn off the assembly line. I don't need more measles antibodies right now. So you shouldn't have any measles antibodies right now in your bloodstream unless you've been exposed, and then you should. But general measles is vigilant the rest of his life, the rest of his life. If measles ever gets into your body again, like you, somebody coughs and you breathe in some measles bugs, general measles is vigilant for the rest of his life to turn on the assembly. He just has to flip the switch to turn the assembly line on. He doesn't have to build the assembly line. That's why if you go to Africa, you need vaccinations months and months ahead of time. But if you um, uh, go back 15 years later, you just need a booster shot two weeks before you go. You just need a booster shot. And that's because general measles has turned the switch back on. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So you you have a memory B cell to gluten. No other food that we know of but gluten. You have a memory B cell. So... um, that's why you can't have a little once in a while because you turn on general gluten and general gluten then starts making antibodies. And once he gets turned on, and it takes less than an eighth of a thumbnail to turn on general gluten, once he gets turned on, you've got elevated antibodies for three to six months from one exposure. Wow. One exposure. And that's why so if you're exposed exposure. once a month, right, that's why exposure. if you're exposed once a month, your SMR is six to one. That's why it's six to one is because at once a month is because uh, general gluten has been turned back on. And if the weak link in your chain is a thyroid and you're attacking the thyroid, now you get more thyroid antibodies and the whole cascade begins again. So let's go back to these foods now. So you've got these labeled gluten-free foods, 3%, just under 3% are not gluten-free. And naturally gluten-free foods, 25% are not gluten-free. So how, how do you protect yourself? How can you go out and eat? and be safe. You can't. In one study, they looked at 15 cultivars of quinoa. Now, quinoa grows in Peru. No, wait. Quinoa grows in the U.S. No, quinoa never grew in the U.S. Wait, it does now. Wait, how did they do that? Well, they crossbred it with grasses, and they crossbred it with grasses that put gluten proteins in the quinoa. So they looked at 15 different cultivars of quinoa, and they found four of them had toxic levels of gluten. Four of them. But it's quinoa. No, it's not. Not anymore. It's still called quinoa, but it's not the same. So you're not safe. It's just not safe to eat out there in the world if you're trying to be gluten-free. And you can't cheat because it takes very little to turn on the whole assembly line again. So how do you protect? This bothered me for years. 
I've known this for years, but I haven't taught it because there's nothing you could do except vigilance and just try to be the best you can, you know, the safest you can. But now I put two years into this and I worked with three scientists who between the, the three of them put in over 20 years in this. And we came up with the digestive enzyme. It's the first one ever on the market that does this. What does it do? It digests 99% of all gluten peptides within 60 minutes. What's critically important about that is all of the other gluten digesting enzymes out there take three hours, four hours, five hours, and they do help. They do. But the guards, the sentries that are there to protect you just inside the small intestine, anything that gets through the stomach into the small intestine, they're right there at the beginning of the small intestine. When you eat food, that food is going through that area of the small intestine in between 90 minutes and two hours. So if the other gluten-digesting enzymes take three hours to digest the gluten, what happens? You've turned on the centuries. You've turned on the inflammation in your gut. That's why it's so critically important. There's never been a product like this. It digests 99% of all gluten within 60 minutes. That's GI Shield. So everyone that has a gluten sensitivity has to take GI Shield before they eat just to protect yourself from any inadvertent exposures to gluten. Oh, we're just having a quinoa meal tonight. Okay, what cultivar of quinoa? What? What cultivar of quinoa? Well, I don't know. Well, until you know, then you don't know if you're safe or not. Because you don't know. And 4 out of 15 had toxic levels of gluten in them. So you need to protect yourself anytime you eat a food. And you take the GI shield before you start eating. So it's at the very bottom of this big glob of food that gets into your stomach. It's at the very bottom, so it starts digesting, so nothing gets through into the first part of the small intestine. That makes sense to people. And I'm so proud that you know we've got this product now because it's, it's rocking people's worlds. People who never felt safe, they'd get sick if they go out to eat. They're writing us testimonials and saying, thank you so much. I mean, this thing really works. You just have to take it correctly, and that's before the meal, not in the middle of the meal. But if you're having a grain meal, then I take another one in the middle to help again. But you have to take it before you start eating, just before you start eating. Then you're protected. This isn't your get-out-of-jail card-free. <laughs> that is correct. It is Dr. not Tom, your get-out-of-jail like card-free. It is for the inadvertent exposures. <laughs> that, but really, pe- people think that way. Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But if you're having a gluten-free blueberry muffin at the local coffee shop, you better take your GI Shield beforehand. Right. Okay. Now, does that apply for non-celiac gluten sensitivity or celiac yes. disease? It's, it's really yes. across the board for either one, correct? Anyone who has elevated antibodies to gluten, it doesn't matter if it manifests as liver cancer or celiac or cerebellar degeneration, it doesn't matter. If it's gluten-triggering inflammation, that's the people that need this. Okay, Dr. Tom, I'll tell you what. Give us Dr. Tom's absolutely must-favorite testing. This is the only way you're going to know. Oh, yeah, sure. I I was just thinking that I never got to that. I told you there are two categories of tests. The first one was super important. Yeah, the first one was transglutaminase for celiac and why it's often um, uh, it's accurate, but it's not complete. And that's why you miss seven out of 10 if you only have partial villus atrophy with transglutaminase. But the other test looking for gluten sensitivity. Remember, there are multiple peptides of gluten, multiple clumps of the chain, the pearl necklace 
that didn't get digested and broken down. But every laboratory only looks for one clump called alpha-glidin. But there are many. Well, a lab opened up uh, four and a half years ago that looks at 10 different peptides of gluten. They're called Cyrex, C-Y-R-E-X, Cyrex Labs. Cyrex Labs. You you, you go to CyrexLabs.com, and you can learn about their tests. And their test number three is the test called Multiple Peptides of Gluten. It's a remarkable test, just remarkable, because you don't get the false negatives, meaning there's no problem. I mean, it's possible no lab test is perfect, but the number is greatly reduced compared to where it used to be. Greatly right. reduced. This is the gold standard as of today. That is correct. It's the very best test in the world. There's nothing that comes close to being able to identify if you have a sensitivity to gluten or not as looking at multiple clumps of the pearl necklace that didn't get broken down and your body is making antibodies to it. Because remember, 50% of celiacs make elevated antibodies to the 33 pearl alpha-glidin, but 50% don't. They're making antibodies to other ones. So So 50% of them fall short of that testing, right? That's exactly right. And your doctor doesn't know this because they don't have time to read the literature on this. It's not commonly known. The laboratories aren't going to tell you because the laboratories are only looking at alpha-glidin. So, and, uh, and on transglutaminase, they're not going to tell you that transglutaminase is not sensitive if you're at the earlier stages of the disease. I mean, you know, there's a dollar and cents thing here. So they pick the studies that show 100%, 99%, 98%. And that's because the researchers that prove the validity of the test got their blood from blood banks, where everyone's a diagnosed celiac, meaning they all have total villus atrophy. And so the test is right on the money for that. that. And your doctor doesn't know this. He doesn't know this. That's why the handout, the conundrum of gluten sensitivity, why the tests are often wrong, is so important for everyone to read. And that the test to do is Cyrex array number three for gluten sensitivity. Cyrex array number two checks for leaky gut. It's the most accurate test out there for intestinal permeability, pathogenic intestinal permeability. Because intestinal permeability is not bad for you. Excess intestinal permeability, when you get leaking gut, that's bad for you. And then array number five. So it's two, three, and five that I recommend to every patient. And five looks at 24 different tissue antibodies, meaning 24 different antibodies like to your thyroid, or there's six for your brain, six different antibodies to your brain, three to your heart, your lungs, your liver, your reproductive system. Where's the weak link in your chain? And is anything being pulled right now where that link is already breaking and you've got elevated antibodies? That's the most comprehensive test. And that panel, two, three, and five, I think it will cost you probably $1,500 or something like that. But now you know. Now you know because you don't feel feel when you've got elevated antibodies (laughs) to myelin. You don't feel when your body's attacking your brain, attacking, attacking the saran wrap around your brain, around your nerves called myelin until you kill off so much myelin that now you get MS. Now you get symptoms of MS. So you just don't feel it. Right, and you, by the you know, time like, you get the symptoms, you're you're well on your way. You're too late, right. Unfortunately. That's exactly not right. too late. I, I never say too late. No, no, it's well not too late. No. It's not too late, but it's late. Well on your way. It's late, yes. The, the Army yes. is in full force. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And if, people's un- and if people understand this concept, that's what my summit will be about next year. That's why I'm traveling the world now interviewing all these different experts is to really give people the, oh, my God, I didn't know this. So I'm giving you the uh, uh, 
button-down version of it, but uh, we'll have many experts talking about this next year, and you, wow. I'll make sure that you that you guys know about it, so you can tell all your people about it. Oh, would love that, and oh, we absolutely. would love to have and, you, you know, back. I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you when 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 is the guesstimate timeline for this uh, summit, Doctor Tom? Well, I've I've got to make that decision this week, and I'm not sure yet. It's either going to be in late May or maybe September. It just depends on how much work we can get done. Uh, quickly enough, because it's a tremendous task to do this, and uh, you know it's a terrible—not terrible, but it's a large amount of work to do. And I, realistically, can we get it done in time? So I have to make that decision this week. But so it'll be coming in the uh, certainly close to the second half of the year next year. Okay. Well, we'd like to—we'd love to have you on before uh, before it launches sometime to to go ahead and promote and market and and you know share the knowledge for for people. Get so everybody ready for it. Yeah. You know, it's going to be. Yeah. That absolutely. would be great. That would be just great. You bet. And I, you I, bet. I have to ask you. I have to ask you. So I guess you guys are well over uh, lunchtime. So what would you have for lunch today? <laughs> well, for lunch today, we had um, uh, buckwheat crepes. Mine was with chicken, artichoke hearts, avocado, and uh, a little aioli, spicy aioli sauce on top of it. And on top of that was two fried eggs, cooked the yolks on top of that. So I cut it all up. That was just a delicious, just wonderful Sunday morning treat for us. We went to this crepe place that does gluten-free crepes. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, that doesn't sound bad at all, (laughs) does it? No, it certainly I don't eat brown rice and sprouts all the time. I'm not that kind of nutcase. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to say that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with eating brown rice and sprouts all the time. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, Dr. Tom, this has been absolutely amazing. We have been talking thank about you coming you. on the show because Tiffany and I are, yes, we are, we are such big fans. So thank you so much for taking time on your Sunday. And we will share all the information about where can, people can find you and the free gift that, you, that you've offered the guests today. Once we let yes, you go. I, I believe I, just, I, just I believe there's like Thank three you. three gifts, three or four gifts for you guys, and I'm not good at any of that stuff, you know. And they they put it on my phone, <laughs> but you know I'm supposed to look and I'm supposed to tell you and announce it all. But uh, you know, just just know, guys, That's that there's okay. some really good information available for you. There's a lecture that I gave, a video lecture that you'll all have access to. There's summaries oh, of awesome. some of the speakers from my gluten summit, the experts from around the world. Um, there's three papers and the video. Uh, so that's all there for you. Plus, there's a $10 gift certificate uh, for your first bottle of GI Shield or oh, however you want to use cool. it on my website. So all that stuff is yeah. there. And, and I'm sure my staff will get that to you guys so you, you can make it available to your listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, I well, have thank it, so you. We'll, we'll cover it once we, once we let you go. So no problem. Great. Thank right. you so very, 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 very much for being with us. And we we're so excited to have you back. We had so many questions for you. It's such a it's such an important topic, you know? It's it's it is. Yeah. It's foundational. It's a foundational listen guys, it's the most common food we eat in America and every human has problems with it every time they eat it. And now a couple right. of things like people say, But it's in the Bible. My response to that every time <laughs> is the same. With all due respect no one is eating the bread that Jesus Christ ate, so stop using exactly. that excuse. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Nor the yeah. amount. Nor the amount. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's or nor not the amount. Even a-
it's not even in the same ballpark. And That's exactly <laughs> right. So that <laughs> this is a problem for everyone. This is a foundational problem for everyone. This is not like a new vitamin you're supposed to take or a new exercise you're supposed to do. This is a foundational concept for you and your families, you and your children, to keep them healthier because we're going in the wrong direction. For the first time in the history of the human species, for the first time ever, the New England Journal of Medicine tells us that children born today have a shorter oh, projected lifespan than their uh. parents. They're going to get sick uh. earlier, get diagnosed with disease earlier, and die earlier than their parents. We're like all have our heads in the sand on this because we like our cookies. And you know we're comfortable with the way we've grown up living our lives, but it's killing us. It's killing us I had- off. Such a heart. I have four children, Dr. Tom. So, and Dana has two beautiful children. So, you know, I that statement, I honestly have to oh, tell you, I heart. think about that at least once a week. When I read yes, that the exactly. first time, exactly. I thought to myself, "Oh my God, that that should horrify any parent." Everybody. Exactly. Yep. Yes. It's like wake up, wake up, wake up, you everyone. Know, we went through this. We went through this at Halloween yesterday because at the farmers market we had this cute little trick or treating thing. The radio station came out and the whole, you know, the whole shebang. It was fabulous. So as we're going through getting candy, you know, I, I told my kids I said gluten free is a mandatory minimum. Period. You know, and they're like, yeah. oh, mom, don't be that table, right? Don't hand out pencils. And <laughs> yes, right, right. And I said that's right. fine. I, 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 you know, because I'm really, you know, as a food control diabetic, I'm super militant on sugar. You know. Yes. And yes. um yeah, my household is, is not a is not a friendly food place to be. But anyways, um, you know, I told the kids I said gluten free is a mandatory minimum. I am not. And then I had these little I had each one of the candies that I had in my bowl, you know, because I don't want to be a complete turd. Yes. But each one of the candies in my little bowl I had a little sticker on there that showed how many grams of sugar was in that single piece of candy. Yep. Right? Uh, yep. And the kid yep. and I you know what's funny is is that not only kids you know, my own kids are like, oh, God, Mom, really? <laughs> right. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was a lot of interest in the other children. I mean, my kids know. They they, they make goof about it, but they, they know. But they were really surprised at how much sugar was in this teeny tiny mini piece of, of candy. Yep. You know, I'm like, four, you yep. know, you eat four pieces of candy, four pieces of your Halloween candy. You know, you're at yep. minimum, you know. 40, 50 yep. grams of sugar, and that's why you can't listen anymore or you can't control yourself or control your brain. And these kids were like, wow, you know, and I thought, wow, you know, it's really, I mean, I'm sure you see it with gluten all the time, but I was so surprised at how many people didn't really register that there were five grams of sugar in a piece of the double bubble. That's yep. a lot of sugar in one little piece it of It certainly dough. is. It certainly is. <laughs> That certainly is. So sugar is a huge problem in our culture, and there's lots we could say about that. Uh, this topic today was about gluten and the hidden sources of gluten. Absolutely. And when your kids take candy, if they're going to have candy with Halloween, just make sure they take uh, GI Shield beforehand. And that, too. That's and right. Also, Absolutely. You, you always put some great resources for Halloween uh, gluten-free candy. And there's still some really, some really fairly good candies, really good candies in there that are gluten-free. You know companies that really. That's right. But take the take the the GI Shield. That's that's for next year. That's on my list for next year. I'll have yep. your GI Shield. <laughs> that's right. right. Next, but I'll explain that one next year. 
Good, good, good. Well, good. Thank, oh my you, thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Tom. We'll have you back. I promise. We'll talk to your assistant. She's wonderful. She's been fabulous. So thank you very much, and have the best Sunday. Thank you, and have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Thank you. Thank you, and then same to you both. Thanks very much. Bye, bye, everyone. Bye, bye. Okay, bye. Oh my goodness. So everybody, you wow. can connect. I know, right? That just that's just so much information. He he's amazing and and you know gluten guru let, is I don't let, even think that covers it. No, let Let's me let me people. talk real quick and tell you about what the what the freebie is uh, so everybody can know. If you'll go to the t h e d r dot com slash gluten truth, so it's the doctor dot com slash gluten truth and doctor is just d r. You'll have access to the Power Hour and this is the episode um, hosted by Dr. Tom O'Brien features uh, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, Dr. Deanna Minnick. Minnick, Minich, not sure how to say her her name. Um, it's a blockbuster tr- uh, trilogy of experts discussing the scientific facts about gluten sensitivity, ancient versus modern grains, and why we are affected, Ooh. which we did cover a little bit about today. Yeah, we did cover that a little bit today, so that's kind of neat. Um, and then um, Dr. O'Brien's favorite articles, Differentiating Gluten-Related Disorders, The Conundrum of Gluten Sensitivity, Why the Tests are Often Wrong, and uh, U.S. Perspective on Gluten-Related Diseases. So uh, there's also a $10 coupon to use at doctor.com. And uh, just to make sure everybody gets that, it's vdr.com slash gluten truth. So that was really wonderful that he is uh, offering that for us today. Very cool. Very cool. That is a very cool thing. And you right? can connect to Dr. Tom through the doctor.com for YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, you can connect with uh, Dr. Tom through all of that through his website at the dr.com. Com. <sighs> Next week, wellness specialist, <laughs> certified nurse nutritionist, holistic lifestyle and wellness consultant, and part of the Thyroid Nation radio team, part-time, Shannon Garrett, autoimmune RN, founder of ShannonGarrettWellness.com. So be sure to check that out next weekend. Mm-hmm. And as always, a very big thank you to our listeners please also um, share your thyroid thriver story with us um, at thyroidnation.com. We love to uh, publish and feature you because it's a great way to help others not feel so alone, and uh, it offers them, you know, hope and and a little bit of, um, you know, not like I said, not feeling so alone, and, and it really does help. You know, there have been so many people who reply to all the thyroid thriver stories that we've done. I guess we've done like 60-something so far that just say, yeah. you know, if I can share my story and help one person, and they've helped so many, and uh, the mm-hmm. replies have been fantastic. So please share your Thyroid Thriver story with us at uh, thyroidnation.com. And the journeys are also different. I mean, that's the thing is, is finding those oh. aha moments in there of, oh, my gosh, you know, I had no idea that might have been related. Right. Or, it's just very cool reading the Thriver stories. Thank you as well oh, as well, always for – huh? <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say thank you to our amazing Thyroid Nation radio team, without whom this show would not be possible. And I'm sorry if I cut you off. That's okay. And um, I was just going to say, you know, there we didn't get to have a moment of a flower field moment uh, with Dr. Tom because there was just so much to cover, and he was going so fast, and there was just great information. But I think I, had I was a just in a permanent a flower field moment. Permanent. I mean, I just kept, I just kept at the very end, he'd finish, but then he'd go on and I'd still be in my flower field moment. So it was really, really (laughs) wonderful. But we do say that on every show. And I wanted to make sure everybody knew we had, I had several flower field moments with with Dr. Tom. So it was, it was really exciting. And make sure to follow us at um, thyroidnation.com on Facebook and 
Twitter, Instagram, Periscope, and we also have a Hoshis and Graves Facebook support group, so check that out. Absolutely. As always, Dana and I want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. Make sure to always listen to your own body and be mindful of what it is telling you. And and in uh, light of Dr. Tom today, be mindful of also what it might not necessarily be telling you, (laughs) the potential (laughs) for what it might tell you in the future when you're you're not, um, you know, not taken good care and and being aware so always Take make care sure of yourself your right. body yeah absolutely okay guys this is dana your thyroid nation gringa tika from costa rica and tiffany Miladnich of gratefulgarden.biz bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together united we heal bye guys thank bye. you